Today I'm chatting with John Walker. John is my business partner, Steve Walker's father, uh, and also my neighbour from about 35 years ago in the UK, so I remember John growing up there. Um, His corporate career was spent as president and CEO of Interface Europe and Asia Pacific, where he led around 7,000 staff. And since retiring from that, John's done a number of things, um, including being a strategic advisor to businesses going through growth and change. And, you know, that's one of the the main reasons we wanted to bring John onto the podcast was to talk about some of the turbulence he's seeing right now, some of the advice he's giving um, in relation to, you know, the pandemic and how businesses can uh, ensure they survive and, you know, re-enter the market in a as stable way as possible. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this this chat. And here's my conversation with John Walker. Hi, John. Uh, good morning. Welcome to the Task Podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, Matt. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. My pleasure. And um, well, so I mean, we, we know each other, obviously, from being next door neighbours many moons ago. I, um, you know, I think actually probably 40 years ago, uh, maybe, maybe even, yeah, probably about 40 mm. years ago, we, we were neighbours. And obviously now, um, you know, come back into the same circles, you being the, the father of my business partner, Steve. So yeah, yeah great yeah. to have you on, on the podcast and, and chat about some of the stuff that's happening right now and, you know, the impact of business and, and, sure. and you know, what we can expect going forward. I think a, a good start would just to be, you know, for our listeners, if you can just give a snapshot, um, you know, your, your background, a snapshot of your career um, it would be great just to start us out. Okay. Okay. Well, I actually... Um, started life as a professional soccer player playing for Coventry City and uh, fairly early on in my career I had a nasty accident collided with a goalkeeper and uh, broke my leg and uh, that was the end of my career so I had to uh, change my thinking and uh, for better or worse I decided to become a chartered accountant so I trained (laughs) as an accountant for a number of years and then I started to my real aim was to you know having got obsessed with business at that stage, having left the soccer, uh, was to uh, obviously build my own businesses. And um, I had the good fortune to uh, to meet a guy uh, when I was about 27, 28, who was uh, a bit more senior to me, but, you know, been around the block a few times in terms of uh, business activity. So we teamed up and we, we, we started to acquire businesses that were in trouble, turn them around. And then eventually I had, we had the good fortune of being able to sell it to a Dutch company, and uh, this particular company called Huga um, were uh, the inventors of something called the carpet tile. And the carpet tile is, is a product that goes into, mainly into offices and shops and commercial interiors. Uh, I went to Holland, took the family there. Steve was with me at the time. He was our oldest uh, son. Uh, built the Dutch company. They asked me to, having acquired my company, then asked me to... Uh, to go to Holland and do that. So I, I basically then started to run a, a multinational company because we had operations in every country in Europe and Asia. One place we didn't have anywhere, any presence was in the US. And um, so I then became chief executive in that organization. And then we were taken over by an American company called Interface, um, who were also in the carpet tile business. And at one time we had a business going, a business of around five or six billion dollars and about seven and a half thousand employees i was eventually appointed chief executive 
president and chief executive of the um, of the European and Asia part of the business um, in about the mid nineties, and uh, so I had a fantastic life of uh, kind of running around the world, uh, learning about different cultures, uh, how to communicate well with the Japanese or the Chinese or the Spanish or the Italians, French, all different as you can imagine, and um, and that was great success. And then the other thing that happened, which to be honest, at the beginning I I resisted was the fact that my boss, a chap called Ray Anderson, um, who was the founder of Interface, decided one day that we should change our operating model. He'd, we concluded that we were massive polluters in the sense that we had 20 odd plants around the world um, making this product and spewing stuff into the biosphere and creating scrap uh, that went into landfills. And he wanted to change all that. So he challenged me and the team to. Uh, I was part of the team, I should say, challenged the team to um, to go take us on a journey of becoming the first name in industrial ecology, the first sort of truly environmentally sustainable industrial business. So that was from about you know the early 90s or mid 90s and through to the early 2000s. Uh, and that was a fantastic period where we uh, I learned to uh, not think as an accountant, but to think as uh, I think more creatively and I think that's where my passion then started to to develop around the idea of um, coaching and helping other people to think differently I guess so that on the one hand you could get uh, good economic performance but not to not at the same t- not to do it at the expense of the planet and um, then I had a chance to in my mid-50s I had a chance to to leave uh, I found someone who was a very good replacement for me. It was still, I think, but I believe still with the company. The company, by the way, is much smaller now. It's, it's, um, it's sold off a lot of the acquisitions that we made in the, in the 90s, and, uh, but it's still doing extremely well. And it's still regarded as a leader in this whole area of the, the environment um, and, and, and uh, carbon neutrality. Uh, then I had a lot of time on my hands, so I decided to um, use my knowledge uh, both from a point of view of my base financial knowledge and also the, 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 what I'd picked up in terms of understanding different cultures around the world to help businesses and in particular those that were in trouble. So I became a bit of a turnaround uh, guru. Um, and I think since I uh, think since, this is almost 20 years ago now, since I started this, I probably, my wife was counting up the other day, I think I probably helped about 47 businesses or, or individuals uh, along the way to, um, to, to develop a business model that would give them what they were looking for. So that's me in a nutshell. I'm a, I'm a keen tennis player. I'm fit and healthy. I'm 75 years of age now. Um, and I am in lockdown as a result of the coronavirus. Although, weirdly enough, even though I haven't been able to go to meetings uh, recently with my clients for obvious reasons, I've been doing this kind of work, uh, doing the same kind of work but using tech. Uh, I've actually been more engaged and more important to the organizations that I work with for the very obvious reason that they're going through a um, significant period of change. And that's where I come in, in terms of helping them to develop a mindset to see that as a normal, a bit of a more normal process instead of being scared of it. So I hope that helps, Matt, in terms of giving you a background. That does indeed. And, and um, yeah, thanks for, for being so thorough. I mean, it sounds like you, you know, you went through a, 
um, you know, a, a big career and, and retired and then carried on working and have pretty much done as much since by the sound of it. So oh, and that's right. That's right. That's right. You touched on a few, there's a few things I want to um, touch on there, sports, sustainability, uh, which I'll get back to. But I think just, um, you know, at the beginning of this really, in terms of what we look at what's happening now, you know, I was listening to Simon Sinek the other day, the, the speaker yeah, and writer, yeah. and he was talking, you may have seen there's a video that circulated of him talking about what's happening. And from a business sense, this not being unprecedented. Unprecedented is like probably the most common word I've now heard for the last yeah, few yeah. months. But he was, you know, using the examples of the internet, of, you know, streaming uh, and the disruption of things like that to those traditional models of industry. And, you know, do you see this as an unprecedented situation or, or is there, there many other things you've seen like this and it's just, you know, time to kind of get on with it and approach it in the right way? Well, um, I mean, I having had a fairly long career and I can remember a number of, a number of incidents, not, not in fairness, not as serious as this in, in fairness, but you know, the, the 87 crash, the uh, black Monday or whatever we used to call it. The uh, obviously the nine 11 situation, the 208 financial crisis. Um, so I've seen quite a few. Um, mm. My, uh, my take on it all is that, and th th I don't want to, is to come over the wrong way. My take on it all is that th th these crises, weirdly enough, uh, can be helpful in the sense that, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't, I hate the idea of people dying from the, from the virus, but they do provide an opportunity for people to pause and reflect and think about things. And I'm not mm. only thinking about the, the sort of social, general social environment. We've noticed, for example, how much more friendly and uh, courteous people are when we take the dogs for a walk in the village, that kind of thing, because uh, we're all yeah. battling in the, battling against the same enemy. But one of the things I've, I've 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 talked about over the years is that, generally speaking, businesses perform do not perform as well as they could because they make uh, assumptions, particularly around the fact that the landscape is always going to be the same. You know, you know the the competition competitive threat is going to be fairly benign. You know, the weather's always going to be nice market's always going to grow and of course that that leads you into a sort of mindset where you're quite content to survive you're quite content to you know get some incremental improvement in your business performance but at no time do you ever have the environment in which you might consider something a bit more radical which mm. could not only help the business model but also could help to move your business in a different direction for example bringing in the environmental piece you know so I, I promote the idea of the, of the best decision-making during crisis uh, because you've no choice. In, 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 a, in, a, in a situation where you're sort of ticking along, if that's the right way of putting it, it's very easy. The, 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 the sort of resistance to change is extremely high. But the resistance to change when, you know, you're going to go bust if you don't react quickly uh, is much lower. And that's why I get great successes um, People say to me, why on earth are you talking? Why do you spend your time working with businesses that are in trouble? Then I explain the fact that your chances of making a difference are much higher. And that's kind of where I am on all of this. So, yeah, I mean, interestingly, I suppose when you look at what's happening now, then it is no different really for you because, you know, you, the, the only difference is that everyone on some level has some sort of trouble now. Um, and, and it sounds like something you're, you're you know, well-versed to, to be dealing with. Um, it's, it's interesting when I look at, you know, actually I remember 
I remember 9-11. I remember SARS. I was working for, at both those times, I was working for larger companies. Um, and it was disruptive for different reasons and, and in different ways. You know, now being with Task, it's interesting because when you're, you know, with, with our business, we, we kind of had been in a settling stage to, to a degree before this. But as a startup, you know, which we have been, um, up until, you know, we're still a startup tech, tech startups yeah, yeah. Are startups for five years, but you're constantly dealing with looking at new ways to kind of re-engineer your approach. You know, what problems are you solving? Is your go-to-market right? So, yeah, I, I, for us, it's not really been any different. It's frustrating. Different? Some, no, I get that. Yeah, sure. It, you know, certain budgets being put on hold, things like that are completely inevitable and, and somewhat frustrating, but yeah. Um, I think I think on that too, Matt. I, I I know a bit about Task, as you know, because I, you know my, my son Steve and you are partners in that business. And I, by the way, I think I think it's got a fantastic future. I know that you know you're uh, you're having to deal with the usual issues and hurdles associated with a startup. You know, raising capital, building a team, you know, creating value. You know, creating a an experience for a customer where he can see clear value. And of mm. course, fortunately these days, businesses are having to think. Uh, much wider than they used to be, they used to think, because they have to be very appealing to stakeholders, investors, customers, the, the public in general, you know, just outside their core product. They have to stand for a lot more. And I can see that Task can play a very significant role in uh, in helping organizations to achieve that. Yeah, it's that kind definitely... Of social, social impact stuff, you know. Yeah, it's an interesting time for us because I think, you know, we see it as, as much as right now and, and potentially for the next, you know, few months, it's, it's obviously tough economically with, yeah. you know, for clients that we're, we're trying to, you know, sell products and services into. But, but at the same time, there, there is this kind of silver lining for a business like us where we see, well, that there's going to be a shift in the way that, you know, businesses look at how they, um, you know, how they approach the world. And, and we're all about that. I mean, interestingly, and maybe this is a good segue. I mean, I wanted to ask you about, you, you touched on it in your intro and, you know, when, when with Interface, and I was reading it in your, in your bio that you, uh, being um, environmentally sustainable or having a pr an approach to business like a long time ago when really people were not thinking about it in business. I mean, it was, right. can you just touch right. on that a little bit more, what it was about, you know, what, what you did and, and what the motivations yeah. were as well? Well, the, I mean, as I said earlier, um, I, I had to be dragged kicking and screaming into that, uh, into that um, process of uh, rebuilding interface into a company that, uh, and, I, and I was pretty well in charge because I ran the whole of Europe and Asia, which is most of the business. There was a business in America as well, of course. But um, because I'm a simple bean counter, anything, and I'd been trained for, I'd been practicing for years making money for shareholders and employees and myself, of course, and my family. Um, so the idea of actually having to transform a large industrially based company, making a product that, as it turned out, was a great polluter in the, pro in the process of making the product. I mean, the thing about the, 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 that particular business, and it applies to loads of businesses now, is that you make the product. Uh, we, used to, we used to talk about the, the concept being take, make, waste, you know, you take the material from the, from the, from the planet, uh, make it, and then eventually waste it. Because what would happen to our product throughout the manufacturing process, it, you know, the scrap would go into landfill and it'd still be there in 100, 200 years time because it wasn't biodegradable, the material that we're using. And, 
And then if, if we sold it to someone like one of the big banks and they'd use it for five years and then they'd put it into landfill. So we were yeah. actually making a massive contribution to uh, the problem of, uh, around the environment. Now, the, this, when, we, when Ray Anderson uh, created this new mission for us, uh, we hadn't got any money because we'd, um, we'd spent a lot, of, we'd borrowed a lot, uh, probably about half a billion dollars to make various acquisitions. So we weren't in a perp, an ideal situation to, uh, to invest in new technology. So we actually launched a worldwide process uh, to reduce waste. And we, we, re- we, we, we redefined waste as yep. um, anything that goes into the product or service that does not come out as value to the customer. Very wide definition of waste. When you, do, when you actually engage, we engage the whole, you know, all the people around the world, uh, we set up little teams looking at this uh, problem and they came up with the most amazing ideas. Hmm. Uh, as a result of which, uh, over a period of three years, I think we, we saved about 500 million. <laughs> which we then started to look at again and say, well, what can we do this way? Give you an example of how, how our thinking becomes rather fixed. If you look at the if you look at carpets in general, yeah, uh, maybe it doesn't apply to you, Matt, but certainly it would apply to your parents and certainly applied to me years ago. And you, you, if you and your wife went out to look for a carpet, you, 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 the, the, one of the main criteria would be the weight of the carpet. You know, you might yep. want to have a nice color and it, or nice pattern, but the fundam- one of the key criteria is the weight. And so you had a situation where, you know, products were defined by weight. So someone said one day, look, you know, we put 1,500 grams of material into this particular product. Why can't we do it with 1,000 grams? Why can't we do it with 750 grams? Surely we could re-engineer it so that, you know, it would still have the comfort, the warm, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we'd, lo- we'd, we'd use half the kind of, you know, fossil fuel-based raw material, i.e. nylon. Now, that's a, si- that's a simple idea, but it was only because we were moving down this, we were encouraged to move down this route of re-engineering the business, redesigning the business, that someone came up with that idea, you see. Hmm. Uh, and that's what I mean by our mental maps suddenly just, you know, sticking to a certain way of thinking and while things are moving along sort of okay we never have the chance to or we 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 simply don't bother to think a bit more radically about these things i think it's such an interesting story and actually i mean not not an uncommon one i mean what you just explained now i've heard you know numerous examples over the years uh, of you know, businesses looking at how to be sustainable and then suddenly realizing just the massive cost savings they make from doing the right thing. Enormous. It's yes, like, enormous, yeah, yeah, I can't remember. There's some really good example. I think it was either, I'm sure McDonald's has a great one. It might be something as simple as reducing, you know, giving away so many free napkins or something that, you know, there's some real simple examples where, where you know, it didn't really matter to, to the consumer. Um, it was good exactly. for the brand. And it absolutely exactly. ends up costing, uh, sorry, saving millions of dollars, you know? That's right. Well, um, the, other, the other thing that was interesting about that story, uh, we had that, we had a kind of mantra, which was to become the first uh, industrial company to be environmentally sustainable. Uh, and uh, we redefined sustainability. Um, and, then be, and then to be restorative through the power of our influence. So... As a result of our leadership, you know, leadership position on this, even though we're a tiddler, really, in terms of you know, uh, various companies around the world, 
we attracted a lot of attention and a lot of people, you know, big suppliers like DuPont, uh, who were our main nylon supplier, wanted to hang out with us, if that's the right way of putting it, wanted to uh, discuss uh, what, what we were thinking of doing and they wanted to engage in all of this. And the same would apply to some of our big customers. So we actually, had, we actually developed an entirely different relationship with our suppliers and with our customers and, that, and, and with our and, uh, employees because what happened was that you know, our big customers wanted to come and talk to us about what we were doing on the environmental scene and learn from that and copy it. Oh, and by the way, we're going to buy your product. Uh, so the product, the, what used to be the core product, of course we're going to buy your product. And the reason we're going to buy your product is because we admire what you're doing in relation to all this other stuff. The same would, would, would apply to people who are looking for a career uh, coming out of university. You know, do I want to go and work for a company that makes coffee tiles? You know, okay, what, you know, so what? But do I want to get engaged in a, in a, in a process in which this particular organization is trying to reinvent what, the way we do things and uh, and influence other people and the answer is pretty obvious so we we then discovered that we got more customers coming in uh and we had we were attracting better talent and we were actually creating the kind of little mini movement around this whole thing because this was in the early 90s before yeah you know the, the thing before. really took off yeah absolutely yeah yeah, I mean, I've worked in, I think my, you know, I first worked in kind of sustainability area, you know, like 2000. So, I mean, back then, I mean, it was, there, there were companies thinking like this, but it, it was certainly not commonplace. So, um, yeah, yeah. Something else, just as you were talking then, you know, one of the, in, you, you touched on it at the beginning, I, I think, saying that, you know, this kind of working remote situation for yourself has seen you be a value. You're obviously speaking to people like in this way on, on zoom and, and other ways. I mean, you know, interestingly for Steve and I, we're, we're always remote, you know, nothing has changed yeah. for us. I mean, we do, yeah. we do a little bit of travel, but, and I've been, you know, I'm realizing as I speak to some people, they're in this completely new uh, working environment. Um, you know, what do you think the, the I've, I've asked a few people about this. What do you think the ramifications are? I mean, you know, one area could be, well, you know, businesses will see when everyone goes back to normal, that actually they can save a huge amount by having yeah, a sure. When yeah. many more employees. Yeah. Then there's also, you know, the, the negative side of that of, you know, I was listening to a podcast actually the other day, talk, they were talking about how um, university tutors are teaching online. And, you know, one of the problems there is much of what is learned is in cafeterias in between lectures. Um, you yeah, know, what, sure. what, do you, what do you see the impact of this kind of remote? I mean, what are the positives and, the, and potentially the negatives of it and how it may change things going forward? Well, um... I think what it will do is um, make a contribution, make a contribution to a number of key issues. Um, it's going to, putting it simply, it's going to force us to think differently. Now, what differently means? Well, you can you can define that in a number of ways. I mean, the big I was listening to the radio this morning, uh, and uh, one of the points that was made, which I fully endorse, is that we've had this awful experience. We've had, we've had to change our pattern of behavior, we, we are working arrangements, we've had to work from home, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the benefit of that has been a massive impact on, you know, getting cleaner air. And, and so the kind of environmental degradation that we've been worrying about for years, you know, it's, it's had a sort of dampening effect on that. And we're all, I mean, I know, I know there are people dying from the virus, which is awful, but there's a chance that if we can, if we can, if we can sort of reinvent, if we can reemerge, uh, with, with a different model, 
which takes into consideration the fact that it's actually quite nice to be able to, to breathe night, you know, clean air in London or wherever it happens to be. Um, and, uh, and, and people will live longer and be healthier. Uh, so it's, it's another reason why people can ask serious questions about how we do things, how we relate, how we, how we, how we design, how we design the products and services. Uh, with that in mind, that's one example. Um, I think probably out of it, you know, there will be a pattern of change and people will be for a while, uh, not sufficiently confident to, um, you know, engage in, uh, you know, activities around, say, an office or a restaurant, things like that. But I think what will happen is we're incredibly inventive. And I think mm. we'll figure out ways of uh, of creating other products or services or adapting products or services in such a way that we can stay safe, uh, we can still enjoy some kind of social interaction uh, and see this thing through until we get a vaccine. And even then, you know, there may be some permanent change to the way we see the world and the way we operate yeah this yeah i mean it's interesting and i know i think before we jumped on the podcast we were talking about you know the current situation I, you know i'm in thailand we've not really we're really experiencing the lockdown but we haven't you know experienced any real kind of notion of the virus here and that may be because they've been very strict i don't know but there, there's now this sense of you know we've got to start pulling out of this over the next few months and i was yeah, listening yeah. I was, I was reading something the other day. It was a really interesting analogy um, of, you know, there's now this balance of, you know, protecting life against protecting the economy and yeah, no one wants yeah. to make, make these decisions. But, but no. interestingly, they, they were using the analogy actually of, of the, the speed limit. You know, if you, if you reduce the speed limit to five miles an hour on every road, you could probably yeah. just about almost stop any road death, right? But obviously no yeah. one would hit that. And this kind of fine balance we're in now is, is, is how we kind of pull out of this in a way. And I, I don't know, you know, even if there's a question in here, it's probably just something to philosophize, but it's, well, you know, this is the trickiness for governments now, isn't it? Because no one really wants to be the one saying that the economy is more important, but there is a balance because the, absolutely. the, re, the repercussions of not allowing the economy to open up again, effectively yeah. over a shorter period of time has a you know still has a massive effect on you know on life yeah anyway. yeah, yeah yeah i think the i think you're absolutely right uh, i think the um this is where we we're uh, heavily dependent on on politicians of course who who have to weigh these things up and then make some kind of judgment uh i think the biggest issue uh and you've just alluded to it to some extent is the is, is in the process of solving one problem, uh, the action that is needed has unintended consequences somewhere else. Mm. You mentioned the, uh, the, the, I mean, it's pretty obvious really that, for example, in the UK at the moment, people are not going to hospital when they've got symptoms uh, that could be serious because they're scared of getting the virus. So we're gonna get more deaths for other, mm. you know, other, other illnesses. And then on top of that, you've got, uh, You've got the mental issues and and, uh, and people being feeling isolated. I mean, we're all right because you know we're um, we're still in touch with the family. You're okay because you're active and doing things and communicating. But a large number of people are not, and so I think one of the things that we'll have to look at in a year or two's time is to is to have a as to reflect back on 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 the whole thing and hopefully learn from that experience. But you're right; someone has to make a judgment and. 
I think that, I mean, Trump is already talking about getting America back to work, which, he, you know, did, notwithstanding what you think about him, it, 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 probably, it probably makes sense. But the question really is, how can you do it uh, in such a way that it reduces, or not reduces, but it, it, it uh, yeah, reduces the risk of, uh, of, uh, of transmission, you know, that kind of thing. So that's the, that's the judgment, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's not. It's a definitely a tricky. As I say, I think you know, I wouldn't want to be. I, I have, um, yeah, I feel for these politicians. Right now. I'm, you know, I'm never in in normal times. I think politicians become different in times of crisis. You just, you know, you, politics should kind of drop away and leadership should emerge um, because yeah. it's it's not a time to be writing about, you know, who is the like you say, you know, whether it's Trump, whether because ultimately that person then has to lead through this situation. So I, I certainly do not. Um, I don't. I, I certainly wouldn't want their job. That's for sure. But um, no, no. Well, maybe uh, one of the one of the outcomes could be that uh, you know we've we've got used to this kind of adversarial type of uh, politics, party-based politics, uh, yeah. because it's mainly been dealing with domestic stuff. You know, stuff that's going on at home, and uh, you know, te- you know, financial policies and tax policy things like that. But this is such a massive thing worldwide that I hope. One of my hopes is that it'll 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 create a different kind of culture and a different communication system. So moving away from that kind of adversarial partisan-based system, where mm. you know I'm fighting you all the time, I want I want to connect, and I want I may disagree on a few things, and I want I want to have a voice in this in terms of you know getting to become an MP or even president. Uh, but at the same time, I want to do it in a gentler, more understanding way, so that we stop all this uh, shouting. Agree. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think we're, the world is that, that, you know, is growing tedious of this real kind of split down the middle that's existed now for some yeah, time in both yeah, America yeah. and the US and this, this kind yeah. of real left and right notion, which never used to be there. It was so, yeah, I completely with you on that. Um, I'm mindful yes. of time, but there was a couple of things I still want to touch on. Um, okay. We didn't really. So, you know, in terms of I just really wanted to get a sense of and this is a bit of a wide question, but you know what you're feeling from, you said there's 12, did I get that right? There's 12 companies that you yeah. advise, you know, and you must be playing a key role, certainly with, with some of them, or if not all of them right now, in just being a, a mentor of sorts because of your experience. So, you know, what is the advice you're giving if there is, if it is similar across all? And, you know, what are you seeing as, as things that, you know, need to be the focus for business to kind of emerge strong or, and successful? Okay. What, you know, that's a broad well, question, you know. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Uh, and they're all different businesses. Some of them are techie stuff, some of them are a bit more traditional. Uh, they range from a, a large electrical wholesaler to a company that's a tech company. In, uh, it's a property tech company to a, uh, a company that's involved in uh, B2B mobile phone communications and other, uh, other internet, or on- online kind of services. Uh, and you know, I've got a big tennis center that you saw when you came to England last uh, last year, uh, which yep. is now completely closed, and we're, we're having to rebuild that. Um, I think the I think what I'm saying to everybody is, look, use this. Don't celebrate the fact that we've got this virus, but use this as an opportunity to re- redesign the way you do. We all do things because. If you look at your performance over the last decade, the business may have grown incrementally or, you know, but generally speaking, if I look at real performance, you know, people are putting me more and more work 
and getting getting results that are not fully rewarding that work. So I'm saying to them, look, use this opportunity to have a look at your cost base, have a look at your waste, challenge your organizing principles, uh, talk, think about uh, re-entry uh, in a new market, uh, different landscape. Don't assume, for example, taking the tennis example that you can, you know, as a coach, you can just walk in and charge people 40 quid an hour uh, to teach them how to play because you'll be, you'll be your audience or your market will be people who may have lost their jobs or they may have had their income reduced, all sorts of things. So in other words, start to think about a new environment, start to prepare yourself for that and, and challenge yourself. For example, I had a conversation yesterday with a business that's I've been involved in that raised about four million pounds a couple of years ago. So we had a lot of cash. One of the problems, by the way, when you raise a lot of money is you waste it. Uh, and I, 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 I was saying that you know, let's, let's figure out how we can get the same productivity or the, sorry, not the productivity, the same output with half the cost so that when we re-emerge, uh, we will re-emerge leaner, hungrier, uh, with a lower break-even point if we go down to the financial jargon, and, and, and uh, giving ourselves a better chance of, of making profits, which we can then invest in new ideas. Because if you're not making profits, you, you've got nothing to invest. Uh, and no wonder you stay, you, you know, your, your growth line is pretty flat. So use the opportunity to reflect, to debate, to disagree and to come out of this thing in, in, in a different form. Don't assume that the landscape will be exactly the same as when we entered it. Use it as an opportunity to reinvent. That's my big message. And because around that message, I then ask questions, uh, you know, really difficult questions. And I can do that because I'm not involved in the day-to-day -day affairs. I can say things that the chief executive can't say. You know because they have the problem of maintaining relationships with their, you know, their, their people. I can sort of come in from left field and really sort of stir things up, which, is, which means that at the moment, my work is more important than it would be otherwise. Yeah, and interesting that it takes, like, you know, from that story then, I mean, it, you know, it's in some situations, it takes an extreme um, occurrence like this for people to necessarily learn. So, it's, yeah, interesting what you say. And it, yeah, they may emerge... Yeah. With a stronger yeah. business model because of that. So, well, if you take the interface story, you know, we, we hadn't got any money to to invest in becoming a environmental. So we had to set, we had to find it, and uh, yeah. so we found it by attacking waste. By we found it to start with by redefining waste, and then attacking it around the world. So if you've got seven and a half thousand people all working away at that kind of thing, and oh, by the way, you know, in those days. Uh, we had a situation where we could make this every member of the, of, the, of the worldwide workforce become part of a team. We actually invented, we actually created a, a description for this initiative called Quest. And Quest meant quality utilizing employee suggestions and teamwork. Uh, so we had Quest teams around the world all meeting together. Uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a regular basis to have a look at how they could identify and eliminate waste and then record it and report it. A task would have been a perfect, uh, perfect hmm. bit of kit for been. that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm getting at. So, Indeed, the yeah, that, yeah. yeah, the other thing that, 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 that happened there was that it gave people a, a kind of extra level of importance. So you might have been the person who was cleaning the loos down in Sydney, Australia, 
that you you could be on a task team, uh, sorry, on a on a quest team, and you could be contributing, that, that, you know, to 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 this great uh, journey that we're on to to save this cash to reinvest in a new model, a new environmental, you know, and, you know one that was going to be environmentally sustainable, and that 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 lifted a lot of people that were doing pretty pretty basic humdrum jobs. Yeah, great. And you're right. It was, yeah, I mean, we're, everything we do now is about engaging em employees. So, I mean, you were yeah. clearly forward thinking, you know, all, the, all that way back then doing that. So. Well, one of the things I learned over the years, Matt, traveling around the world and talking to you know, people in Japan and, and uh, Australia and Thailand, we've got a plant in Thailand, built a plant during my, my period of uh, running the business um, and uh, other places. One of the things I learned was, was you know, the ability to, to kind of, you know, listen very carefully, uh, but, but really engage people in, you know, conversations about how we could improve performance, whatever we do, however we define that. What I found was that the, I, got, I, got the best, I got the best results from those conversations for people who were relatively, relatively junior in various organizations. The top teams tended to be rather defensive and yep. uh, wanted, wanted to, I mean, their main aim, to be perfectly frank, without being rude about it, was to maintain the status quo. They wanted to keep their jobs, keep their positions. Whereas someone a bit farther down the pecking order, you know, they were closer to the coalface in terms of what was going on with the product, the quality, you know, all that kind of stuff. If, and, and I often found those conversations with the people that were on the production line or people who were on the sales force in various parts of the world, very, very productive. And they were often very creative. So that was something else I learned. You know, when you run a large organization, don't just isolate yourself and just have, communicate with your direct reports, either the board of directors. Get out there, find out what's going on, talk to the people at the coalface. They'll tell you the truth. Yeah, awesome advice. And that's, yeah, and certainly. Um, look, we, we kind of, just at the end, but there's one more thing I want to touch on, actually, on a completely different topic, uh, but that's sport. Um, obviously, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't know you're, I must know, I didn't know you're a professional footballer all those years ago. But, uh, you know, I was reading an article this morning that, you know, cricket, cricket, rugby and football, I think, combined are looking at a kind of $700 million loss. Um, you know, you're, I know you're, you're still involved in sports now. Obviously, we've got the connection to Holton and, and everything else. But, um, you know, broadly, how are you, do you think it's going to change sport? I mean, I, I don't follow the football, actually. I'm a rugby follower, but I'm mm, dying mm. for sport to get back. I miss it. And, you know, mm. do you think we're going to be looking at completely new models for a while with, you know, sports in, interaction mm. or anything you know about that? I don't know anything about it, actually. I... I uh... Uh, I like you probably now uh, prefer to watch rugby rather. Than, uh, oh, there you go. Uh, uh, but um, you know, I I I, I got involved in um, in pursuing a career in football because I just happened to be a good player at school. And that's all really, and I was passionate about it. I mean, I was lucky enough that um, I went to a reasonable grammar school, so I I did manage to uh, to get some decent. Um, what we used to call GCSEs, sorry, GCEs in those days, A-levels, whilst I was playing football. Uh, I, uh, I, I have great problems trying to work out. I mean, put it this way, sport is so important to the world and so mm. important, not only from a, you know, your point of view in terms of taking an interest and it helps your 
helps you to relax, helps you to have an interest outside work and all that kind of thing, which I like. I like watching tennis, for example. But I, I sense that they will, they will come up with some, um, some solutions that, 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 that eventually get it back on its feet. But I don't see, I don't see what we, the way we used to enjoy it coming back for a little while. Yeah, no, I'm seeing the, seeing the same thing. I mean, I also watch a lot of the, the you know, the boxing and everything else. And there, yeah, there's, some yeah. really in, there's some very interesting changes taking place in the, in the MMA, which is growing in, in yeah. popularity. I mean, they've just gone yeah. and bought a special arena purely for the fights so they can kind of yeah. carry on. Yeah. There will, there'll be no audience in there. So <laughs> certainly... <laughs> That's I, right. Well, I think, yeah, I think, I think but I think, I think what we're talking about now is the here and now and the next few months and maybe yeah. the next year, but we've got to remain optimistic because there will get a virus, um, sorry, uh, a vaccine. There will be a solution, uh, which will get us closer to what we call the norm, which we could have got used to over the years. So I think we can be, we can be optimistic about that. Uh, but I think we've just got to, take it a step at a time because you know you don't want to um you don't want to start going back and having more uh, massive uh, you know spikes in the virus so i think it's a case of um you know one step at a time but i i would remain optimistic about the fact that all these things will eventually get back to closer to uh, how we how we used to be because of the fact that they will find a a kind of medical solution to the problem yeah, I, I agree with you. And yeah, being positive and uh, yeah, I mean, even looking back three months ago, everything has massively changed. And, you know, I think you'd speak to people two or three months ago from now, there was a sense of panic in the world that seems to have certainly subsided. And now it's more about, you know, what's next and when do we get back to, to the new normal? So, yeah. No, I think, I think so. I think, and that's, that's a, an important point. We, I noticed, for example, uh, you know, we, I think I mentioned this to you, we, Vicky and I, we've got six kids between us and you, you know one of them very well, uh, Steve, who's out in Thailand. And I think you've probably met Carl, have you? Yes, uh, yeah, you I, 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 know, I know them all. Yeah, I've met Carl again. Yeah, you know them all. And, Joe, and we've got Joe down in Malaysia and our husband Mel and then we've got Nick in London who's just about to have his second daughter. We've got uh, Natty down the road in Wendover and we've got uh, Andrew in, um, in Bath. But... Um, uh, I was talking to our daughter Natty the other day, who has been very helpful to us because you know when we've been in total lockdown, uh, she's you know been doing the shopping and things like that. I mean, with, it, theoretically, we could go out and do our own shopping, but you know she likes to make a contribution. It's an opportunity to do something for us, you know. But she's um, she's become so obsessed with the um, with the news and with the daily death rate and the uh, all the stuff that's on the news every day and i had a i had to talk to her the other day and say look now you've really got to stop quoting all these awful statistics to me or to yourself because it'll drive you mad and what you've got to do is replace that with you know good behavior make sure you're making your contribution to uh, getting rid of this virus but at the same time being very optimistic and hopeful about the future because it is there is going to be a, a solution we don't we know that what we don't know is quite long how long it'll take it's it's a bit like me saying to uh, to steve yeah task is going to work i can i can tell you that for certain but what i can't tell you is how long it'll take you to get to that point <laughs> and how much capital <laughs> you might need I, but it will work 
it will work. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind. I mean, I can tell that. And I say that to a lot of other situations. So the question really is, are you in for the, in for the journey? Are you, are you, um, are you going to stay the course and, uh, you know, constantly change course or mid course correction, I suppose is more appropriate, but there's no doubt that if you, if you stick it out and you keep, uh, learning and, and, and developing and learning from experience, you'll eventually get something that people want, they like, they're prepared to pay for, and it'll be a business. But what I can't tell you, how long it's going to take you. Cool. I think that, that feels like a great place to end with some good advice. So um, unless there's anything I haven't asked you that, that you'd like me to, or, no, uh, was no, there anything? No, I that's do? fine. No, thanks, Matt. That's very good. That's, uh, I enjoyed chatting to you. Yeah, I enjoyed chatting to yourself as well, John. So, um, yeah, best of luck and, and you know, to yourself and family. And, um, yeah, look forward you. to catching up again soon. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Matt. Okay, talk to you soon. All the best. Bye-bye. This is a podcast from Task. Task helps you create and measure impact. For more information, please visit task.io.